Like you could have the best strategies on the planet. You could read all the books and come and do the things with your kids. If you don't have a personal connection, it's not going to work. And the opposite is true. If you have a great connection, it's easier to do hard stuff and to implement strategies that are needed. Welcome to the ADHD Essentials Podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm an ADHD professional who's been working in the field for 10 years. I'm on the organizing committee for the International Conference on ADHD and a board member of the Men's ADHD Support Group. I'm also the creator of The Wall of Awful, and I run popular and effective online parent coaching groups. And speaking of those groups, registration is now open for the winter 2024 session of the ADHD Essentials Parenting Groups. This latest round will begin in January. The groups are built to improve the cooperation and relationships between parent and child, and to reduce the overall anxiety at home. Over the past five years, I have helped hundreds of parents address the challenges they face at home as a result of ADHD and anxiety. And I'm sure I can help you too. Here's past attendee Troy sharing some of his experience. I actually woke up thinking about this. The, the, the feel and the air and, and the, just the whole vibe in our house has changed. Every time we finish one of these sessions, it's almost like I feel closer to my kid. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. He's not even uh, there. Right. And I mean, yeah, I think, yeah. And it's like I always want to just, just want to go and, and, and hug him after we finish these sessions. Um, I also feel that you have given me permission um, to just like, chill out a little bit with being, uh, with being a parent um, and just give him space, just be a little bit more accepting. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I also, I'm just sort of like in, in awe of just uh, how wonderful uh, a father he must be. And that certainly has an impact on me. I really enjoy these sessions and I get a lot out of, out of them for sure. Check the link in the show notes for more information or email me at brendan at adhdessentials.com to set up a free information call about my parenting groups. Welcome to the show. In today's episode, we talk to Julie Skolnick, founder of With Understanding Comes Calm. Julie guides parents of gifted and distractible children, mentors, TUI adults, trains, educators, and advises professionals on how to bring out the best in and raise the self-confidence of the two E people in their lives. Julie talks to us about her new book, Gifted and Distractable. She tells us what two E means, shares her cycle of success model, and discusses the overexcitability of gifted folks, asynchronous development, and how to advocate for ourselves and others. All right, let's get rolling. Twice exceptional or two E is somewhat of a hard concept because it's almost counterintuitive. So somebody who's identified as gifted, gifted, by the way, is also a special need. Somebody who's identified as gifted with a learning difference or learning differences. And quite frankly, Brendan, nobody's really 2E. Most people are 3, 4, 10E. But it's the two E's are gifted and something else. And frankly, and you're probably going to ask me about this, I would guess, gifted is really the more confusing part of the 2E um, moniker. And we're going to, we're going to get to that. 
But before we do, I want to talk about the book and why everyone who is listening should buy it. I'm holding it up like I'm not on a podcast and people can see it. I'm just going to say you have a lot of purple tabs, which nicely match the cover. Just saying. Yeah, I do. I do have a lot of purple tabs. Um, This book is phenomenal. My audience knows that I don't typically have people on if their books are not phenomenal. I usually go into talking about the structure and sort of formatting stuff. But I've done that a lot in some recent episodes, and it all is holds true in terms of like subheading headings and subheadings and all that stuff, the easy, accessible kind of nature of a book. This is well designed in that regard. I don't want to go there too deep because my audience is probably sick of me hearing, hearing me do that. So I'm going to go in a different direction with your book and talk about other stuff that is great about it. Cool. One thing that I really enjoyed about this book is that it's both authoritative and accessible, friendly conversational conversational thank you that's the word i want yeah 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 um it's it's very clear that you know your stuff but you're not trying to hide behind your knowledge and your intelligence and your education it's a book that most people can pick up and read and understand and access while also getting a phenomenal amount of information that they probably need well i forgot to say that i when i introduced myself the most important experience is that i parent three awesome twice exceptional kids so Oops, I forgot to mention that. <laughs> that <laughs> yeah, helps and, make it conversational. I'm talking to you like you're me. So, right, yeah. yeah. And you 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 write not just from an academic understanding, but also that experiential understanding. I'm a mom of, of two wee kids and a coach, and I've done this. I don't just understand this. And that adds an important layer to the book that helps it feel more actionable and feel more applicable to the lives of the person who is reading it or the people who are reading it. I love that you said actionable because that is my goal. My goal is to, to answer the now what for parents, educators, and adults and clinicians. Yeah. Another thing I flagged is in the back, there are 25 worksheets that you can use to apply the ideas and concepts and learnings that are inside of this book. That's the kind of thing that really puts a book over the top for me when it's got this, you need to manipulate this information in order to retain it better. And I'm going to facilitate the manipulating of that information by giving you exercises, tools, worksheets, things that we can use so that the information doesn't hide in the book. It in, instead begins to live in our brains. That's critical. So I, I wanted to I wanted to call attention to that back piece as well it also gives the illusion that the book is bigger than it actually is it's a little bit thick but a lot of that is like there's 25 (laughs) worksheets like that's a lot of pages right and even you've got suggested readings you've got um you break up your praise model in the back as to support that learning even further um and there's also a solid index and acknowledgements and those sorts of things so um i'm excited about so many parts of it that i kind of don't know where i want to start Well, I want to respond to what you already said, because I have to say what's crystal clear to me is you living in the ADHD land, as you do, you are really focused on the executive functions and the usability of this book. And I love that because that's why I'm doing it. When I give talks and I give talks almost every week of my life, live and virtually, I'm always role modeling. So I'll start by saying, and I'm going to tell your audience, hey, if you're walking right now and listening, awesome. If you're driving, ooh, be careful. But if you're not and you're just sitting and you need to get up and pace, go for it, right? Like whatever's going to help you access this information and help your light your brain on fire, 
do it. And so I really do live by what I say, because I think that's really important. And obviously you do too. Those worksheets that a lot of people point out that are there and it's unique that I have worksheets. You're the first person who's actually said, and so this is going to make you actually apply the knowledge and use it in real life. And that's exactly what I wanted. So thank you for actually pointing that out. I'm glad to have for two reasons, right? One, it's really easy to get a book that has worksheets in the back of it and go, oh, that's a waste. You read a book. You don't write in a book. Like, why would I want those worksheets? If someone doesn't say, no, 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 write in those worksheets, like use them or photocopy them and write on the paper if you can't handle writing inside a book. Sometimes we need permission, especially as folks who have ADHD or or other learning challenges, right? One of the things you mentioned in here is that, you know, two people can be a little rigid sometimes. <laughs> Some of that rigidity might be, I'm not going to write in that worksheet. Because I'm rigid about not writing in books, like that could be a thing and we can loosen that up. Fun fact, the audio version comes with PDFs of the worksheets and I read the audio version. So if you are a auditory learner, knock yourself out. So here's where we're going to start. Connects to you living this. The structure of your book is your cycle for success. Correct. And that cycle for success model that, that you use and that the book is designed around is understanding strategies and advocacy. Can we talk about that first and then go? we'll go deeper in from there? I've been working with clients globally, thousands of clients around the world for close to 10 years. And I know what works. And so the book actually patterns how I work with clients. So we start with a deep dive. What does it mean to be gifted and 2E? We didn't even start the interview when you asked me what does 2E mean? I mean, I guess we did start the interview, but you know, we started there. We have to have an understanding. We have to know what we're talking about. And by the way, 2E is complex, right? If you're gifted with learning differences, talk about a head scratcher. So we have to understand what all those things mean. And there's even an entire chapter, chapter four, that covers learning differences that I see most often in my practice. Not every single learning difference on the planet, but the ones I see most often. When you have that deep understanding, then it follows we can craft strategies that are based on that understanding, not strategies that everybody uses for neurotypical kids or even their own neurodiverse kid, but strategies that have to do with all the different cocktails and combinations of 2E-ness. Like how do we figure out what's the best approach? And in the book, of course, it's a strength-based approach. My favorite thing to do is to positively reframe. So it, there's lots of that in there. And then when you have a deep understanding and then you have crafted strategies that actually work, you have to advocate. You have to advocate for other people to understand. You have to advocate for other people to use those strategies. And you have to advocate for other people to advocate on behalf of 2E kids. And last but not least, you have to help the child advocate on their behalf. So that's why I call it the cycle for success. And it goes around and around because they're all related. Is it okay if I danced a little further into the book? Dive deeply, my friend. Can we talk about overexcitability? Can I zoom out a little bit and include the whole three-layer cake of giftedness? Go wherever you want. Okay, so I created the three-layer cake of giftedness. Again, role modeling, easy to remember. You mentioned praise before. I'm sure we're going to jump into that. That's an acronym, easy to remember. These are tricks of how to learn and how to really 
um, embed information. So the three-layer cake of giftedness, if you can imagine a three-layer cake, mine's chocolate with chocolate frosting. You just have to have frosting and you have to have three layers of cake. So I don't care what flavor y'all have, pick your flavors. The frosting part, which is a thin layer above, around, between all of the layers, that is the gifted assumption. What is the number one family feud answer of what does gifted mean? If we ask anybody on the planet, they're going to say the word smart. Smart, bright, potential, ability. Okay, that's the frosting above, between, and around all the layers. And it's a thin layer. But then we have these three thick layers of cake or characteristics. A synchronous development, perfectionism, the other side of which can be anxiety, and then what you're asking about, Brendan, and those are overexcitabilities, which is sometimes shortcut and referred to as OEs, like the letter O, the letter E. And truth be told, there's a movement in the gifted world talking about how actually that term overexcitabilities, which came from psychologist Kashmir Dabrowski, was um, misdefined and it should have been super stimulatabilities. Overexcitability sounds like it's negative, it's too much, whereas super stimulatability sounds like a superpower and it's both. So uh, Dabrowski identified five areas of overexcitabilities, intellectual, emotional, imaginational, sensual, or what you can think of as sensory and psychomotor. And basically in those five areas, you and you can have all five overexcitabilities, you have a widened, heightened antenna. You take in more information or uh, sensory input and you put out more. So it's like a, you're like a, a huge antenna. And obviously it affects you in a very positive or negative way. It's either too much or too little. You need more, you need less. So intellectually overexcitable, rage to learn. You, you want to learn. You're going to ask 50 million questions and man, the worst sentence is, you know what, Brendan, you've asked enough questions for today. It's time to let <laughs> Julie have a chance. That sucks because Brendan, you want to know. And not because you want to be the center of attention or you want to show everybody how smart you are, which are often the assumptions that come with intellectual overexcitability. Or you can imagine sensory input. We dial up or we dial down. We have sensory seekers. We have sensory avoiders. You can be lost in music, the most gorgeous music. You can only want to eat brown foods. <laughs> you know, like too much, too little, just enough, a lot, you know, and that is overexcitabilities is a defining characteristic of giftedness. I didn't even say two yet. And that can be both, right? You can both get lost in music and also only want to eat light brown foods. <laughs> like it doesn't have to be that if you are overexcitable in music, you're going to be overexcitable. Correct. For food Correct. too. Like it can be, one can be more muted than the other and one can be louder. And right, even it but can be remember, situational. An overexcitability is also that only wanting to have brown food because right. the other stuff is too much, right? Like yeah. I've had clients whose kids can't walk in the kitchen when their parents are cooking because the mm -hmm. odor is too much. Or, you know, uh, a really great hack is to have Velcro under your school desk so you can feel that instead of doing something else like drumming your pencils or your fingers that bother the teacher, right? Yeah. Um, it's all about the environment. Let's circle back to the other layers just so that they're explained. Yeah. I sure. don't think we have to go too deep on perfectionism because that's one that my audience has heard before and cool. probably it's kind of, it's a little self-explanatory anyway, but asynchronous development is not as obvious. Yeah. So let's play a little deeper there. 
Sure. Really important concept, asynchronous development kind of, I mean, really could be the defining characteristic. Um, so let me say this. If you imagine, here's another memory uh, tactic. If you imagine a three ring Venn diagram, one is your intellectual self, one is your social emotional self, and one is your physical self. You call on those three areas. That that to me is a drawing of a human. You you call on those three areas all day long. Right now, you're as we said before, either walking, driving, sitting, whatever you're doing. Your physicalness is affecting your ability to attend. You may be distracted socially, emotionally. I may be saying things. We may be saying things that are triggering for you or so validating for you, and you're you're monitoring and dealing with your own emotions. And then intellectually, you're processing. You're trying to remember. So. We have areas in our physical, social, emotional, and intellectual realms that are stronger and weaker at various times, sometimes based on environment, sometimes based on delivery of information. And for a gifted person, the discrepancy can be huge. It can be many standard deviations. So your child, your son, who's intuitive in math, superpower, but sounds like has written uh, expression disorder or and or dysgraphia, right? The the writing challenge. Yep. So that's asynchrony. That's asynchronous. And what we know is that the higher the IQ or where you score on the intelligence bell curve, the more asynchrony you experience, which makes sense because you're that many more standard deviations away from norm. And so my question to you is, if asynchronous development is a defining characteristic of gifted, as I say it is, isn't every gifted person somewhat twice exceptional in some way? And it also explains why giftedness is a special need. Right. Yes. Thank you. And not every person loves that characterization of giftedness, as I just explained it. But to me, it makes a lot of sense and it dovetails very much with all, all that we talk about. And actually what's most important is just understanding the kid in front of you. And I've worked with, sometimes clients will ask me to work with a teacher team, sit down, explain their kid, and then answer questions and give suggestions in the classroom. One time I did this and the advanced math teacher said to me, wait a minute, Julie, are you saying that a gifted kid can have slow processing speed? And I'm like, yes, that is exact, great conclusion. You know, and and truth be told, just to positively reframe that concept, I never say slow processing speed. I say deep processing speed. Think about it. When your computer is crunching X amount of data, it takes X amount of time. Gifted and 2E people crunch way more data than the average bear. So it's going to take longer, just like your computer would. We've talked about understanding. Let's move into strategies for a little while, and then we'll we'll wander over to advocacy. Although, honestly, the whole episode is advocacy. One of the things that won me over immediately that was like, nope, I love Julie. She's the best. Like, we're right in line with each other. Yay. Is you have a whole chapter. It's chapter six, page 107, for those of you who are reading along with us. <laughs> Why personal connection is essential. Yeah. My parent groups that I run, we focus a lot on connection and how much that matters in the parent-child relationship, and, and it extends beyond that in the marital relationship, in the teacher-student relationship, in relationships in general. Can you play with that piece of strategies for a little bit? Sure. So let, can I just, I'm going to bring up praise just so people have sort of the map of where I go with strategies. So praise is the acronym that I use to teach strategies. And praise stands for six categories. P-R-A-I-S-E is six letters. 
P for personal connection. The rest are reframe, anticipate, incentives and choices, sense of humor, and exercise. And I teach strategies under those six categories. So the P or praise category talks about the importance of making a deep connection with your child or your student, or if you're a TUI adult, with your significant other or yourself, the people that you work with, if you can, making sure that you have strong personal connections outside of work, all of those things. They're really, really important for a lot of reasons. So parent-child reasons, the not as obvious reasons are that TUI kids are kind of thrown lots of layers of mud at them all day long. They are confusing. They are confused. Why can you do this, but you can't do that? The asynchronous development completely messes with our heads. Hard things are easy and easy things are hard for TUI kids. So how confusing is that for everybody? For parents, like, could we just get out the door? How many parents out there have said to yourself, if he would just, if you would only, yep. when you do this, all these great things will happen but your kid doesn't actually actualize. And that's frustrating. You feel like they're not listening. You're whacking your head against the wall. You're trying to every professional you can. And what's really actually most important is make sure that you have a really good personal connection with your kid. And it's for the obvious reasons of humans needing to be loved and feel loved. And by the way, with understanding comes calm. So there's that. But then there's the counter to their actually day in and day out life where they are given so much negative feedback. When we have a deep personal connection with our child or our student or ourselves, hard things become easier. Like you could have the best strategies on the planet. You could read all the books and come and do the things with your kids. If you don't have a personal connection, it's not going to work. And the opposite is true. If you have a great connection, it's easier to do hard stuff and to implement strategies that are needed. Because we get buy-in from our kids, right? Like they're, 100%. they're more invested in doing the thing. 100%. And I also want to call out, I didn't want to interrupt you, but I want to highlight a lot of what you just said totally applies to gifted kids. It also sounds a lot like ADHD. Absolutely. Why is it, I, as a dude who has ADHD and is gifted as well, but the more the ADHD side of stuff for me, like why is it that I can do this big ridiculous thing, but I can't do the small thing? Last night, I'm packing for the ADHD conference. Last night, I went up, I just turned to my wife and I said, I call her Mrs. Yo. Sometimes I call her Mrs. Great. Sometimes I call her Mrs. Wife. Those are my pet names for my wife. Now everyone knows. I was like, Mrs. Yo, I printed out a sheet for people to sign up to be a guest on the podcast and I put it in my notebook and my notebook is in my backpack. And she was like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. And I was like, no, 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 that's great. Like I crossed a T and I dotted an I. And she's looking at me like, why is this exciting? Oh, husband of mine who is like sponsoring ADHD influencer lunch Q&As and doing a panel and like is part of the organizing committee for this conference. Like all of that stuff is much bigger and a much more significant deal than I printed a thing out and put it in my notebook and then put it in my backpack. But that other stuff that's bigger is easier. And it is critical that I remember to have these worksheets printed out. And it's a thing I would miss. The forest and the trees, baby, the forest and the trees. The forest is interesting and the trees are annoying. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. Another thing that kind of won me over in this book, it's a very small quote at the start of chapter seven. It says kids do well if they can. It's a Ross Green quote. So anyone who's who's talking about Ross Green is speaking my language. Yeah. 
this is on the reframing perceptions and expectations. Can we go there too? I don't, we don't need to do all of praise, but these two particularly sort of stuck out for me. Reframe is a really incredibly effective and strong strategy because you reframe not only for the child, but you reframe for you, right? We are human. We come to the world with our assumptions and our frustrations and our lack of sleep and our lack of exercise and our lack of food and our lack of whatever else is going on and the stressors from work and all the things, the stressors from relationships, parenting two wee kids can be the most fulfilling thing you do, but it also can be an extraordinarily stressful piece of your relationship with the child's other parent. So reframing helps us as well as helps the child. And that's what this book does. As you read it, you're going to find that you're reframing your understanding of your kid, potentially yourself, maybe your kid's friends, because two wee kids kind of flock together. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's really powerful. Like the, the book itself is doing this. I have a dream and I have to I have to like I have to I have to get the courage to do this, but I want a keynote and just not write the keynote. Just walk into the audience and be like, OK, give it to yep. me. Your kid's worst thing. Go for yeah, it. I'm going to yeah. reframe it for you because I love to do that. So anyway, I got to do that one time. It wasn't a keynote, though. It was a workshop for the town of Chelmsford, Massachusetts. It was the third time I went to their library at the <laughs> behest of their health department to present. And I was like, can I just do a Q&A? Like, is it I'll just bring my every slide deck I have. I put them all in one slide deck and I was like, and we'll just do a Q&A. And they were like, that's great. And for two hours, I did a Q&A. It was my favorite workshop I've ever done. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome because we're so in it, Brendan, that we forget the, you know, when we're in it in the heady way that we're in it, we forget that when you're actually in it, doing it, parenting, teaching, whatever, there's so much support that can be had just by taking a moment, pausing, and think about like, okay, if I didn't have to get somewhere, do something, wasn't afraid or have anxiety about the future and what's going to happen to this kid, how would I respond? Right? It would be very different. My very first client, I love telling this story. My very first client, the mom of a 14-year-old, and this 14-year-old one day ran out of the classroom. And the head of school, the learning specialist, the counselor, everybody freaked out and called mom and mom was kind of horrified. And I listened and I had been working with mom for a couple of weeks. In this case, the dad was not working with me, but very often I have both parents or both moms or both dads. I said to her, what I really want you to do. She's like, yeah, what do I do? I said, what I really want you to do is I want you to go home and give your kid a high five. She was like, wait, wait, what? And I think I talk about this in the book, Brendan, probably, because I see you nodding your head. So it's familiar. But what I knew about this kid was this was an athletic kid who was a bright kid, a 2 kid with ADHD and dyslexia. And the teacher asked, was, was going around the room asking them to do something that was going to be really hard for him. He was going to be embarrassed and it was going to really kind of hack away at his persona he had been working on, creating as a 14-year-old athlete, athlete right at school. And so I said to mom, so wait a minute, let me understand. Did he break anything? Did he say anything inappropriate? Did he hurt anyone? Did he hurt himself? Did he hurt any furniture? Did he, you know, did he say something disrespectful? No, 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 no. Okay. Do we need to help him 
understand how to exit an exit strategy that's a you know acceptable to the grown-ups around him yes but what are we celebrating we are celebrating that he knew what he needed in that moment to avoid bigger worse things happening so important i was also smiling because that's the right answer to me is like yeah totally this kid just to get a high five and i want to i'm going to do my expert hat for a second if that's okay awesome Part of why schools struggle with situations like that is because the only thing that kid broke was a social norm. And one thing we don't talk about is that one of the main jobs of schools is to teach social norms. So when kids break social norms, especially social norms that are not like typically broken, there's a lot of social norms that get broken in schools, but it's that like oppositional subculture stuff. So it's like, I'm opposing the social norm, which means I know the social norm, because the only way for me to dress in this way that is so outlandish is for me to know what's not outlandish and acceptable. So I'm demonstrating that I know the social norm by defying it. That usually goes down easier to school. But when it's an impulsive break of a social norm, when a kid just gets up and runs, that's jarring to educators because does this kid not know that that's not a thing you're allowed to do? Like, what is going on here? And also, it's coming from a place of anxiety. People are rarely comfortable with a fight, flight, and freeze response because it indicates danger. And it makes us feel like we're at risk, even if we aren't, because we're not interpreting the situation in the same way that this kid is. Just breaking that up and playing with a, a little bit for what it's worth. I think that's so fascinating. And um, I'm going to say that I often think when I think about that first client like 10 years ago, I often think that it's actually so egotistical. I wrote a, a blog once called Lego My Ego about parents and teachers. It's that that it's about the teacher, you know, like why, mm -hmm. why would they want to leave my room? And, and the head of school, like thinking danger, danger, they're leaving. Oh my God, he could get in trouble and he could get hurt, which, which are good things to think about, right? We don't let our kids run into the street. And which is why I said he needs to learn how to exit in a more acceptable, understanding way. But social norms to e kids are famous for not conforming to yeah. social norms because yeah. of whatever reason, sensory, and it doesn't make sense. Why would I sit here and talk? do small talk? I mean, ask a two-way adult, what do you hate at a party? If it's not just going to the party, it's the small talk, right? That's a, that's a huge, whose social norm is that anyway, right? How gorgeous to want to talk about something that's actually meaningful and important than what the weather is or how the, you know, Buffalo Bills did or whatever. That was my upstate New York roots coming through. So, <laughs> uh, you know, in this case, this kid actually was very self-aware and that's the important piece. He needed to get himself out of a situation. Now we go back and we talk about how we can do that better. And then even most importantly, we talk about why, why did he need to escape? Bravo for knowing yourself, like, right? Like you have to live with yourself. So do what you need, but let's kind of figure out how to make it so that you don't get in trouble as a 14 year old. And how do we advocate for what we need? We're starting to run out of time. So we got to bring this in for a landing. But one thing I want to mention that is in this book that I think my audience will care about. So like go buy the book because we're not going to talk about it in the interview, ladies and gents. It's the Skolnick process for emotional regulation. That's a great model. I just, I wanted to bring it up. It's connected to your 2E triggers, which is also an important thing for folks to read about. So I want to just say that that's in here and and let folks read it from the book because we're going to, we're going to go somewhere else because we haven't talked about advocacy yet and we should. Can we play a little bit? 
with your art of advocacy model? Yeah. So the art of advocacy, art again, acronym stands for acknowledge, request, and thank. Also sounds really commonsensical. I'll never forget a good friend asked me about their IEP meeting they were going to. And I was like, just do not forget that these people are teachers for a reason. And even though you're upset about something, they may not be trained. So you've got to acknowledge their efforts and you got to thank at the end for sure. Show your gratitude. And frankly, guys, if you want to know my real secret, I always say bake cookies and bring them. (laughs) That's a beautiful thing to do for teachers to bring some food. So the request in between is is the, the hardest and most important part, but they're all really important. So we acknowledge you're taking the time, being with us, paying attention to my kid in this way, and you thank at the end. And in between, you make a request. And that request has to be based on a very specific goal that you've thought about and that you can figure out the action items in order to meet that goal. So you can then measure success and identify what I call a quarterback in the book or the person who's going to kind of help you with that process. My litmus test, and there are worksheets for this on how to create a specific and actionable goal. My litmus test is if you said this goal in this specific way to a four-year-old, would they be able to tell you what the first action item was? And that's how you know you have created a really good specific goal. The goals of Johnny will for three out of six times, you know, do some behavior, my eyes go back in my head. So we want something more like when given a a writing assignment, Johnny will sit with specific person to identify the topic sentence of the first paragraph. I mean, like something so specific. So the action items are identify the person, identify the theme, and the time that Johnny is sitting down, right? Like, I mean, that is very, very specific. And just being mindful of time, do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience? You are the just right parent for your child. The end of the book is a day in the life of a Tui kid. And if you can do it on audio, it's really fun to listen to this day in the life, but you can also read it. It's so important to understand the micro stresses that our kids have and how they how they beat themselves up in their own minds. And you have the most amazing opportunity to help this child feel okay in his, her, or their skin. At the end of the day, when you leave the room, when your two-week kid leaves the room, you're still with yourself. So you really might as well like yourself. And we really want our kids to like themselves or love themselves, ideally. And that is really my goal. And the same thing for teachers. You may not have been trained, more than likely have not been trained in gifted, let alone 2E. So give yourself a break, get some education, take some understanding, press your huge red pause button that I gave you earlier, and think about who is this kid in front of you. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com. And visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.